right, let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Luke, chapter 9. Who is God? Someone's going to ask you that, especially if you go to a college classroom. Who is God? Or what is God? Or who is she, (laughs) maybe? They're going to wonder, who is God? Do you have an answer for them? Well, uh, you can either go on the internet or you can go to the only reliable source, and that is the blessed Word of God, the Scriptures written down, and God reveals Himself to us. God is so many different things. We are number 13 in our series of approximately 20 attributes of God. I have enjoyed it so much. In fact, as I've been going through it, I've been thinking, you know, this uh, to me seems like the foundation of a good book. And so that's kind of my thinking. Who is God? Today's message is God is merciful. We serve a merciful God. Now, you're all familiar with the saying, Murphy's Law, right? That's Murphy's Law. Now, I'm not talking about Cole's Law. That's that thinly sliced cabbage. But anyway, um, we're talking about Murphy's Law. What is Murphy's Law? Well, here's what it is. If anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. And at the worst possible moment. It's just a saying, but it seems like in this world we live in, so oftentimes, I must admit, it seems very accurate. Christian author Joseph L. Felix wrote a very uh, pithy exposition of Murphy's Law from a spiritual perspective. Instead of saying, Lord, have mercy, it was, Lord, have Murphy, (laughs) meaning the idea is in Scripture, human race has so many Murphy moments, we need the mercy of God. And so, Lord, have mercy. (laughs) And when we feel like things are just going bad, maybe we ought to say, Lord, have mercy, or Lord, I'm in a Murphy moment, have mercy on me. Now, how do you find mercy? Ask most people, and they just look at you with a blank stare. In fact, you could even ask many Christians what they would define mercy as, and we might say one thing or the other. Those that maybe have been around a bit, they might say, well, mercy is receiving good that we don't deserve. And uh, I would say that's a very good definition, an excellent one, in fact. But actually, in Scripture, the word mercy is used hundreds of times. We've read about mercy. We've thought about mercy. We've experienced mercy. And we often sing of the mercy of God. The great hymn writer and reformer Charles Wesley wrote, depth of mercy Can there be mercy still reserved for me? Can my God his wrath forbear? Me, the chief of sinners, spare. But the truth is, mercy is one of those concepts that's difficult to put into words. In what is regarded as perhaps the most thanksgiving of all the Psalms, maybe one we could read at Thanksgiving, Psalm 116, King David simply but profoundly said this, Our God is merciful. Our God is merciful. 
And if any of you been a Christian for any length of time at all, you would say, amen. Our God is merciful. How many would say that this morning? Our God is a merciful God. Say amen with me. Amen. He is a merciful God. But what did David mean when he said our God is merciful? What really is God's mercy and what does it mean for us? Well, here's what mercy meant for one man, a very nice atheist. This atheist was walking through the forest, rustling he hears in the bushes, turning, he sees a massive grizzly charging towards him. He runs as fast as he can, trips over a stump and falls. As the bear raises his huge paw to strike that atheist, he screams, God, help me. Time freezes. The bear becomes immobile. The forest is silent. The river stops running. The atheist hears a powerful voice from heaven. You have denied my existence for years, taught others I don't exist, credited my creation to some cosmic accident. Why should I help you? <laughs> yes, I know, Lord. It would be hypocritical for me to ask you to show mercy on me, the atheist agrees, but maybe you could make that bear a Christian. At that, the noise of the forest resumes, the river begins to run, and the bear drops to its knees brings its paws together and says, Lord, thank you for this food which I'm about to receive. I am truly thankful. <laughs> Be careful when you ask God for mercy. Amen. All right. Well, let's uh, bow for prayer and ask God's uh, wisdom and uh, just an insight into this great truth. Lord, thank you. We do thank you for your mercy, Lord. And so often we've uh, messed up and screwed up, Lord. And if it weren't for your mercy, where would we be? Please teach us. And Lord, I pray you lift the burden of those who feel like they've just messed up too much. For those, Lord, who are in the midst of a challenging time, would you just shed your grace and mercy on them and give us, Lord, biblical insight so it lasts. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Scripture, the word mercy is most often defined by the Hebrew and Greek word, which indicates pity or sympathy, compassion or affection. So that means that when God looks at me, whether it be physically in my needs or spiritually in my needs or mentally in my needs, God feels pity. He feels sympathy. He feels compassion. Why? Because he's a merciful God. His kindness floods his heart towards me. But one of the great keys to the truth of mercy is that God doesn't just feel mercy, he acts on his mercy. He does something to relieve my misery. And that is what mercy is all about. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. If you're not already there, this is a unique passage. Gospels, this is the only time this story is found. In fact, the only place in Scripture where this story is. While you're turning there, one great theologian said, proclaim mercy as the greatest attribute of God. I think I might agree with that. I once heard a sermon on the mercy of God, and this pastor said that your sin is never greater. Hallelujah for that. One uh, Theologian said wisely, you might think carefully before asking for justice, 
mercy might be a safer choice. <laughs> well, let's go to Luke chapter 9. Now, the Lord Jesus is about to embark on a final campaign, if you might say it that way, meaning he's on a fishing expedition looking for souls. He's about to return to Jerusalem, which is south of Galilee. He is going to sacrifice himself. He knows the risks are very big. His heart is full. The needs of the multitudes are weighing heavy on his spirit. But he also knows there's a great need for workers. And so he's in a last uh, minute uh, push to train his disciples. He must prepare them. People work is not easy work. And so if you're going to be successful, you have to be a spiritual person, a spiritual leader. And so that's the backdrop. He's with his disciples. They're in Galilee. They're about to head to Jerusalem. He's uh, using this as a time to teach his disciples. As a result of this, there is, it is a tremendous backdrop for the message of mercy. And uh, if you have read any of Matthew Henry, you might recognize my outline here. Uh, much of it comes from him. Verse number 51, we see, first of all, the readiness of Jesus. The readiness of Jesus. Verse 51, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadily set his face to go to Jerusalem. Let's read that verse together if you would. Verse 51, ready, begin. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now our Lord knew well enough what was coming. It didn't take deity to know that his time on earth was short. He knew that the sufferings he's about to endure would be as no human had ever done. Approaching him was a pain like a runaway freight train. He was not looking forward to the process, but he was looking forward to the product that it would bring beyond the pain to the people. His lives would touch with the gospel. And so it says that he steadfastly, he steadfastly set his face to go. Now it's wonderful Because the Lord wrote the book of Isaiah, and that's actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 50. In Isaiah chapter 50, the great Christ prophet Isaiah was proclaiming personally that he would never, never, never quit the ministry. I'm just not quitting. I'm in this thing for the long haul. Why? And he, of course, was foreshadowing a greater prophet, the real prophet. Look at verse Isaiah 50 and verse 7, I have set my face like a flint, like a rock. No, no wavering there, no softness, no, like a flint. I know that I shall not be ashamed. What happens, I know God's going to use this for good. What an example of rugged determination. I think especially in light of the snowflake Christianity we too often see today, what a refreshing thing to see somebody say, I am determined to do the right thing. I am determined to serve God. By the way, did you hear about the millennial that was complaining? You could tell he was really upset 
Because he said, if someone calls me a snowflake one more time, I'm going to have a meltdown. And, uh, but anyway, snowflake Christianity. And I must tell you, I've never seen so many snowflake Christians over this past year. In fact, I'm sad to say even churches. There's been so much silly fear. Why we would think we're in a snowstorm, there's so many snowflakes. But folks, there's a great principle here about God's mercy, about our wonderful Savior. He gave it all. He showed His mercy for people's sake. And that's one of the great truths about mercy, that in any way, shape, or form, it is not the fruit of our own goodness, but because of a sacrificial, determined Savior. In Titus chapter 3, let's look at Titus 3, if you would please, in verse number 5. Titus was a wonderful brother to Paul, a brother in the Lord, a younger brother. Paul was the mentor. And he left Titus there on the island of Crete. The Cretans were quite a group. And uh, they were well known for being a kind of a fussy people. And so Paul left him there and he said, uh, and I know there's issues in this area and with the people even, but he said, uh, you can do this, Titus. And there were at least uh, three problems there. But in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, he addresses one of them, which is a doctrinal problem. Some of the things that had gotten into that church were that people were saying, hey, maybe there are some salvation. If baptism is so important, which it is, then maybe it's actually part of salvation. And uh, Paul had to say no. And so let's read this verse together. And this clarifies it because it talks about mercy. Ready, begin. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Folks, God, yes, sorry. <laughs> I just read my part. I won't read. He, he saves by mercy. He keeps by mercy. Now, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is on a mission of mercy for undeserving sinners. And that is the mission of every church. That is, we are on a mission of mercy. Why all the sacrifice? Why all the giving? Why, as Pastor Luke talked about, the tithes and offerings? It's for mercy. None of us are getting rich. We're just doing it for the Lord's sake, for the work's sake. Look what 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1 says. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. What ministry is this, Paul? As we have received mercy, we faint not. Oh, it is a ministry of mercy. Now, folks, you know if you've been here very long at all, and I'm sure you would figure it out even maybe in the first few moments of a message. I am a conservative through and through. Politically, yes, but I'm really referring to theologically. I cross every theological conservative T, dot every conservative I, but I will tell you, true conservatives are people of mercy and compassion. It is our ministry. It is a ministry of compassion and mercy. Jesus was ready to show mercy. The readiness of Jesus. Number two, the rudeness of people. We see the rudeness of people in verses 52 and verse 53. And sent messengers before his face. So Jesus sends some uh, 
people up to Samaria there to talk with the people. And they went, entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face, the Lord's face, was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Now let's uh, unpack this little uh, situation that was happening here. It is less than a year before our Jesus would die on the cross. These are the last months of his earthly ministry. As always, Jesus didn't do waste any time. Every moment was counting. Everything he did was focused, as we just read, like a flint on the cross. Now, Jerusalem wasn't really that far from Galilee, less than a week's walk, even just going slowly. But in the time that Jesus was moving from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the center south, he was visiting people of all stripes, people of all backgrounds, people of all, uh, all types. And then he would end up eventually in Jerusalem at the Passover. Why? Because he is the true lamb. He had to be crucified at the moment that the Paschal lamb was going to be slain in the temple. Now today, racism is a hot button issue in our country, really even around the world. Now, I know you know this, but let me just remind you, Christianity has been the leader at the forefront of racial and gender equality for the last 6,000 years. Folks, Christians are the least racist people you will ever see. You can see that in the Gospels. You can see that in the Epistles. You can see it by practice. My friends, if you want to see racism, just read Darwin's atheistic evolution theories of race and why he believed in evolution. Or you can uh, see the racial cleansing plan of the mother of abortion, Margaret Sanger. Folks, these atheists, these people who weren't Christians were the most racist of all. Folks, Jesus spoke, broke every conventional stereotype of that day. He went to everybody. The Jewish people didn't like him because he was welcoming the Gentiles. The Gentiles were not sure about him because he had a Jewish background. But I will tell you, false Judaism had little mercy for people that were Gentiles. They did not really especially uh, have much to think about for children and for women. But they definitely had no love loss at all for the Samaritans. In fact, so much so that if a Jew was going to leave Galilee, go down to Jerusalem in the south, they would oftentimes go out, cross over the River Jordan, go out there into the Moab area. And they would then come back down in through Jerusalem, into Jerusalem the other way, just so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. They would not stay in Samaria. If they ever did go to Samaria, they didn't eat there. They went as quick as they could. Now, there's a reason for that. Because the Samaritans were a semi-pagan offspring, they had been taken into Assyrian captivity hundreds of years before. Almost all the Samaritans were loyal to a false god and to a false king, the Assyrian leaders. So it was a mongrel faith. They had retained quite a bit of their Jewish culture, but they served false gods. Unfortunately, their lifestyle often backed up the conception that most Jewish people had about them, and that was they were selfish, 
pagan, nasty people for the most part, rude people. And so here we even see an example of it. In fact, Jesus, you may recall, told the story to the Jewish leaders, the false Jewish leaders. He called it the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan. Telling a story like that to those Jewish false leaders would be like saying a good terrorist. (laughs) They said a good Samaritan? That's like a good terrorist. It can't be. It was a huge rebuke to those Jewish leaders because Jesus was saying, at least the Samaritans care for people. You don't care for anybody. So it was a rig slap in the face. Now, Jesus never had any problem with people of different backgrounds, people groups. He, uh, while always having mercy, retained the truth of God. He was an embodiment of what Solomon said in Proverbs 3 and verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Never lose that beautiful compassion, but always make sure that you couple it with Scripture. It seems like I find uh, many Christians, and it's easy to fall into that, it seems like we swing from compassion to the Bible, from mercy to truth. God says, put it together. And one way that Jesus did that was by saying, look, we're going through Samaria. We're not going to go out the Jordan, cross the Jordan River, go out there into the foreign country, come back around. We are going through Samaria because we want to talk to those Samaritans. We want to reach out to those people. He was a man of mercy, but Jesus was also a very kind man, a very kind Savior. He didn't want to impose on them. They didn't have uh, Motel 6s. They didn't have restaurants. And so when they would come into a smaller village, they would uh, insist or at least uh, hope for the generosity of the people to feed them and to keep them. And so he wanted no surprises. And he wanted to make sure that when they got there, they would be met with uh, respect. And he wanted to be respectful to them. So he sent an advance team. He said, now, fellows, go to Samaria, check it out, warn them that we're coming. Jesus had quite a little entourage. It wasn't an easy thing to feed, you know, whatever, how many people he had, 20 or 15 people or so. And so uh, he said, go there, tell them we're coming, tell them we not have any bad intentions. We just like to come through. And if we can be there, if we can minister to people, if we can pray, uh, whatever we can do to be a blessing, we want to do. And so it says... Look at what it says, though, in verse 53. They did not receive him. Isn't that amazing? Here is the Savior of the world giving them a loving advance notice, and it says they did not receive him. Now, that thought alone needs to be thought about. Uh, It wasn't just, and it even shows it in this verse. Look what it says in uh, verse, uh, get back up here, verse number 53. It says, They would not receive him because, there's a because, his face was though as he would go to Jerusalem. And so the reason they didn't like this rabbi, and that's what they called Jesus, this visiting rabbi, this special teacher, the reason they didn't like him is because he was going to the temple in Jerusalem. You'd say, well, what's so bad about that? Well, the Samaritans hated the people of Jerusalem. They really hated the fact they had this big, gorgeous temple, Herod's temple, with all of its glistening gold, and it was beautiful. They had had a temple 
But about a hundred years earlier, during the time of the Maccabeans, this renegade rabbi led this group of uh, um, Zionists, and they just raised their temple to the ground. And so they were not happy, and they'd held a, uh, a bitterness for over a hundred years. And so when they knew that Jesus and his group were going to Jerusalem and specifically going down to the temple at the time of the Passover, they did not like it. So here's the scenario. There they are. They're in this people group. They looked a little different. They talked a little different. Nobody really liked them. They didn't like anybody else. It was a mutual dislike. But Jesus said, look, we're going to, we're going through to Samaria. We're going to go there. We're going to stay there. We're going to be there for a bit, and then we'll head on down to Jerusalem. But in the meantime, let's be a blessing to this village. Now, folks, um, I just, uh, amazing that Jesus was so kind to these people, and yet these people were so rude. And I will tell you, I have never seen such a rude generation as over the last decade or so. It just seems like being an atheist or being a non-Christian anymore means that you have to find a way to harass to put down and to disrespect those who believe in God. I saw this uh, picture recently uh, of uh, what happened in New York City there, I think in Times Square. Uh, I think we have it there. That's, uh, that was a recent uh, picture there in Times Square. Look how rude that is. We don't want Christ. We don't need Christ at Christmas. We don't even need Christmas for sure, folks. And yet the fact of the matter is God in his mercy keeps reaching out to people. I love that wonderful song where it says, He giveth more grace. Fanny Johnston Flint, who was cancerous, arthritic, blind, and yet she still wrote this amazing hymn. Listen to it. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. And listen to this. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. Our Father's full giving has only begun. He giveth and giveth and giveth again. And so that's the scenario. Our father, our wonderful savior came to this Samaritan village. He was there to show mercy and to just give blessing after blessing. And yet these very rude people said, we don't want anything to do with you. If you're going down to Jerusalem, the readiness of Jesus to show mercy, the rudeness of people about Christ. Number three, the resentment of followers. Look at the resentment that happened in his own followers. It did not sit well with James and John. Look at verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this. In fact, let's read this verse 54 together. Ready? And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? They had a very interesting ministry strategy. Torch them, Jesus. Burn them up. And uh, they were the first fundamental Baptists. I can tell you that right there. But these two uh, courageous, brave, uh, spunky followers. In fact, Christ had called them the sons of Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. In uh, Mark chapter 3 and verse 17, he said, he named them. He, he gave them a nickname. He said, boy, you two guys are sons of thunder, all right. And I, you got to love James and John here because they even had a, 
a biblical basis for their concept that God should fry them on the spot. They said, that's what Elijah did, so you ought to do the same thing and uh, turn them to Rice Krispies in Jesus' name. And, uh, but anyway, I can find three commendable qualities in these disciples. First of all, they were faithful. <laughs> God, if you want to, you can burn them. You can just fry them on the spot. They certainly believe the Word of God can do anything. Number two, they were loyal. They didn't take it lightly that these rude people had given slight to their Savior. And number three, they were yielded. They said, you can do it or we can do it. We'll be happy to do it for you. But uh, they, were, they were yielded to or not. You just do what you want to do. And yet there were some things amiss. Jesus needed to reassure them that these Samaritans were different than them. They were Samaritans they were dealing with. Folks, these are lost people. These are lost people. They're not Christians. Why does it surprise you that they act so rudely? They're non-Christians. In Romans chapter 1, been known as the moral ones, the moral majority. Many non-believers would often say, I'm a sinner and I know it. It's a strange thing. That's actually flipped around. Now you rarely find someone who would say, Christians are moral and I'm a sinner. They often see Christians as haters, homophobes. In fact, they now have the supposed high moral ground. What has happened? Well, years of denying the Lord, years of being against Scripture have darkened the mind. And so Jesus said, it should not surprise you that they are so crazy. The fact is they're Samaritans. Think about that. Number two, likely they were only a minority. It probably wasn't the whole village. It was just a few that were being so hard and so difficult. And we find that just about everywhere we go. There's always one or two at work or maybe more. There's always a few loud ones in the community that, or on the internet that say things. But really for the most part, it's not everybody acting like that. And number three, folks, brothers, my brothers in Christ, these are the very people who are to be recipients of our mercy. For three years, Jesus had been with his disciples. He said, now, in all of those three years, have we ever met rude people before? Yes. Have we ever had uh, hard people before? Yes. Have we ever had people? Yes. Have I ever in three years called down fire to burn them on the spot? Well, no. He said, oh, of course not, because I'm a God of mercy. In fact, in Psalm 136, it's an amazing psalm. Every one of the 26 verses talks about how that God is merciful. His mercy endures forever. It's the only really scripture in all of scripture like that. So repetitive, so amazing. It'd be like singing a chorus and sometimes people don't like the fact that we repeat things a lot. Well, I think it's probably a good idea because uh, at least for me, I'm pretty dense. But if we sang the same thing, God is merciful, God is merciful, God is merciful. If we did that 26 times, you might say, boy, I don't know if we should sing it like that. Folks, that's exactly a psalm, Psalm 136. And it ends with that verse that says, it's forever. People say, well, pastor, is mercy the same as grace? It's not really. Grace uh, really is what God gives us, benefits he gives us that we don't deserve. Mercy is where God doesn't give us what we do deserve. Really, grace has to do with our guilt, and mercy has to do with our misery. Sometimes people have used that 
as, because of the first letters there, grace for our guilt, mercy for our misery. And so as we understand, God is a merciful God. Back when I was a young guy, back in the wonderful roaring 70s, I think there was a little TV commercial that said, how do you spell relief? And then they would have a, a little ad about Rolades, and they would spell out Rolades. Well, folks, if you wanted to spell relief this morning, it's not Rolades, it's mercy. Mercy for my misery. And so we find the readiness of Jesus, the rudeness of people. Thank God. He's a God who overlooks the resentment of his followers. Number four, the reproof of love. Now he turns to his own disciples and he instructs them lovingly but straightforward. Verse five, let's read it together. But he turned and rebuked them and said, ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. Now guys, I get it. I know you're upset. I know you don't like the fact that they disrespected me and you, but you need to know, don't let it get personal. Have you ever knocked on a door and had somebody slam the door on your face? Have you ever given somebody a gospel invitation and they kind of got a little irritable at you? Folks, don't take it personal. And that's what Jesus was saying here. Don't let revenge creep in. Now, folks, I believe there's a good caution here, especially in this uh, cancel culture that we live in. Today, we live in a place where if anything rubs somebody wrong, they feel like it's their right to spew out and to bring them down. But folks, as God's people, we are to be ministers of mercy. Notice what Jesus says here, something very interesting. He said, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. He said, you're not getting it. You're not understanding what our ministry is. You know, I, uh, like a red blood, you know, I've tried to work hard and tried to be a good uh, you know, a provider for my family, try to be respectful to others. And boy, I tell you what, sometimes it can get pretty irritating when somebody is the opposite. It wasn't too long ago, it was in a place in Stockton there, it was stopped at a stoplight and it turned green, but this young man with his pants on the ground decided that he was going to walk across the crosswalk. And he was there. And, uh, but uh, I figured he, he looked, at, and I knew he knew. And so I could tell he was looking at me kind of the corner of my eye, and he, it just seemed like to me he slowed down. And he just kind of walked even a little slower. Now, I must admit, my foot almost slipped off of the brake. And uh, I know you wouldn't, wouldn't believe that about your pastor. But, um, but Jesus said to me, what manner of spirit is that? Look at this. That young man was rude. But that's exactly who Jesus died for. When you're upset with the rudeness of people, just remember, these people are here to minister to. That's what I'm here for. That's the reason I am here. All right, four glorious facts about the mercy of God. You're going to have to listen closely. Looks like we had a little text. Four glorious facts about the mercy of God. Mercy, more than wrath, is God's first inclination. One theologian said his favorite mercy is God's favorite attribute. And I think I would agree with that. Book of Micah, one of Isaiah's wonderful colleagues, 
he was, uh, this, the book of Micah is a, a book of messages, and basically three sermons in the book of Micah. But in Micah chapter 7, here's what he says, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression? Micah 7 verse 18, who do, you do not stay angry forever to show mercy. Jeremiah lamented. And Jeremiah, what a godly, godly man. He was brokenhearted over the Chaldeans' destruction of Jerusalem. But he saw it as God's rod of destruction. Look at Lamentations 3 and verse 33. Lamentations 3 and verse 33. He doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. He does not afflict willingly. It's not something that he wants to do. It is something very difficult for him. Think of a honeybee. Now, when we think of bees, we think of wonderful honey that they make. They don't afflict willingly, but if you get them in the right situation, they'll sting you. And that's what God says. He said, I'm here for the honey, not for the sting. Four glorious facts about God's mercy. Mercy more than wrath is God's first inclination. Number two, mercy sweetens all God's other attributes. God's holiness, His justice, has all been made better by the mercy of God. Without mercy, we're all goners. In the Old Testament story, in the book of Exodus chapter 15, God's people were wandering and complaining, fussing. And so a holy God allowed them to find the water that they wanted, so much to drink. And then they found out that it was bitter water a little bit of payback for their bitterness. And so in mercy, Moses tossed a healing tree into the waters and made it sweet. Hallelujah, folks. God throws mercy into the waters of his justice and they become sweet. If it weren't for the mercy of God, his justice would be a bitter thing. Mercy more than wrath is God's first inclination. Mercy sweetens all God's other attributes. And number three, mercy is God's free gift. Folks, in any way to merit mercy is to destroy mercy. You can't force God. We can't bargain with God. We can't ever contract with God. Then it would no longer be mercy. Hosea knew about the mercy of God. In Hosea chapter 14 and verse number four, I will heal they're backsliding. I will love them freely. Yes, God's mercy is, is free. It is free to us. Some people say, well, I'm too big a sinner. I, I'm too unworthy. I could never be saved. Folks, God's mercy is free. If God only showed mercy to those that were worthy, he would never show mercy at all. It is because of his mercy that he shows it first inclination is mercy. It sweetens the other attributes. It's God's free gift. And finally, mercy is overflowing in its depth. Overflowing in its depth. In Psalm 106 and verse 45, Jerusalem was having their grand opening like we're going to have in two weeks. And uh, when they came into Jerusalem, it was a tremendous blessing of God's mercy. Look at Psalm 1045. He remembered them for his covenant. 
He repented according to the multitude of his mercy. When they walked into Jerusalem and they looked around, kind of like we do around here, we're like, oh my goodness. Every time you walk down these halls or see something beautiful, you ought to just say, oh, thank God for his mercy. His mercy. And that's because of his mercy, God's been so good to us. I love that Psalm 23. The Bible says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow us. Picture, would you, two angels, one named goodness and one named mercy. They're always following you. Not too long ago, on a Wednesday night after class, uh, I jumped, I had my little 58 uh, air-cooled Volkswagen here. Don't usually uh, leave it out at nighttime because, uh, well, it has issues once in a while. And uh, as that did that night, uh, I was leaving out of here and all of a sudden one of my fuses blew. I was pulled out on the West Lane, and I mean to tell you, it, when that, it's dark out there on South and West Lane, and that car was as dark as anything. I couldn't see to pull over. I figured I was going to go in a ditch, I could, and cars are coming behind me. And so I called for mercy, and I, call, I called my wife and said, honey, quick, come, bring the car around and get behind me. And so sure enough, Pauline, precious wife that she was, she flipped around and got behind me with the car and put the lights out ahead. And I said, thank God, surely mercy is following me. And uh, the mercy of God gave me light for the future. And folks, it'll give you light as well. Now, we saw, first of all, the readiness of Jesus. Second of all, the rudeness of people. Then the resentment of his own followers. And then very kindly, but straightly, Jesus gave a reproof of love. And finally, I wish this last part, but in this last verse, we see a retreat, Jesus leaving, but it was a tragic retreat, a sad ending for these Samaritans. How tragic they lost Jesus. Look at verse 56. In fact, let's read it together. You wouldn't verse 56 together. Ready? Begin. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Oh my that last little phrase, they went to another village. These Samaritans had the mercy of God in their grasp, and they didn't want it. Now, friends, I will tell you, I can't think of anything more sad. Now, I can understand people refusing the justice of God. It seems a little rough. I can understand people uh, kind of pulling back from the truth of God. It seems a little straightforward, a little gung-ho. But refusing the mercy of God? Folks, listen. When mercy becomes our accuser, who can advocate? In that pitiful passage in Matthew 23, Jesus said something to that effect. He, looking at Jerusalem, weeping, saying, how often I would have gathered you. I would have blessed you. I would have cared for you. I would have loved you. I would have gathered you in my arms. I would have taken care of you. I would have gathered you like children as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings. And ye would not. Friends, to willingly go on in sin is what Jesus said. I will sin. I would sin. How tragic. It is to make God's mercy your enemy. 
You'd say, well, what do we do when we come to the end of a message like this? I believe we should say, like Paul said in 1 Timothy to that young pastor, he said, I am a miracle of the mercy of God. I am a miracle. If someone looks at you and says, boy, you sure have been blessed, just say, I'm a miracle of the mercy of God. Boy, you sure got a great marriage. It's a miracle of the mercy of God. Boy, you sure have a nice home. It's the miracle. Of, it's, the, it's God's mercy. God, boy, you sure got a successful life. It is God's mercy. Only God's mercy. And if maybe you've had a broken life and put back together, maybe you have a broken marriage and you've remarried, he'd say, well, what about all that? Just keep saying the mercy of God. It is the mercy of God. That's what Paul said. He said, if you knew what a heathen I've been, a blasphemer, someone who injured other people, and yet God showed me mercy. I am a trophy of the mercy of God. Let's go on in life saying, anything good about me is the mercy of God. Everyone has heard of the Titanic. It was a tragic disaster. One of the greatest sea time disasters in relatively modern history. Everyone knows that story. But perhaps you've never heard the story of John Harper. I close with this story because I think it's a great example of the mercy of God. In 1912, 39-year-old Reverend John Harper, a Scottish preacher, was making a transatlantic trip, making plans to preach at Moody Church in Chicago. As fate would have it, the vessel that he chose was the Titanic. Harper, like other people, ended up in the water upon striking that iceberg. People were desperate, little chance. They were being chilled. Many were sinking. The minister was floating around in the water, swimming, and as best he could, he swam to people. The minister asked people in water if they knew Jesus. Eventually, he approached one passenger clinging to a jagged piece of wood. He pled for the man to trust Christ. After he had told the man about Jesus, exhausted, he finally succumbed to the waters and went under with his last breath. And in his last breath, he said the words, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. A few years later, there was a meeting of those that actually survived the Titanic. One of the men that was there was a man that Reverend John Harper had spoken to. He got up and he stood before the group. He said, well, actually, I may be one of the few that were saved twice in the Atlantic at the sinking of the Titanic. He said, first, of course, I was rescued from the seas as you were. But he said, second of all, I got saved when I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. He said, there alone in that night with two miles of water beneath me, I listened to Reverend John Harper, and I think I am John Harper's last convert. In dying, in his mercy, he saved others. It is said when Jesus died on the cross, I was on 
his mind. Jesus died for us. His mercy for each of us. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm so grateful that each of you are here this morning. As our worship team comes, we're going to sing that chorus a few moments ago that we sang. And majesty, I was thinking as we were singing it earlier, how we could say, oh, God's mercy, mercy, his wonderful, majestic, glorious mercy. Maybe you're here this morning and or you're listening online. Thank you for joining us. And for those that come, we have uh, join us, uh, people literally around the world. We love you and thank you. Part of our online family. God bless you. But today you need his mercy. We all need his mercy. We plead for his mercy today. Perhaps we ought to leave this message by saying, anytime someone says something about your life or whatever, just say, you know what? I'm just, thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. I bless God for his mercy. Let's all stand if you would, please. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here. I'm going to give you a chance in a few moments to come and kneel and just say, Lord, I thank you for your mercy. And those just sing it with us. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We bless you. And then for those of you that are here, if there's anyone here or listening online, you're not sure about if you've had the mercy of God, just say, Lord, I accept your mercy. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Father, we bless you and praise you. And we give you honor today in Jesus' name. Let's sing it out. Majesty, majesty, worship his majesty. Amen.